like the inside story of things. I like to know what's happening. I like to be involved. I like to be engaged in what's taking place in our world. And a couple of weeks ago, I was called by uh, somebody, and uh, they had an offer, and they said, we have an uh, opportunity for you if you would like it. And I said, well, what's the opportunity? And they said, we have a person who we think you would be very interested in hearing. And I said, who is that? And they said, Joel Rosenberg. And I goes, really? Us? Grace West? Joel Rosenberg? Uh, bring it on. Yeah. And I said, okay, God, what are you doing? And, and he simply said, you know what? I, I'm giving you the inside story. Because uh, if anybody knows the inside story of what's happening in our world, and knows what's happening in Jerusalem, knows what's happening in our culture uh, in relation to Israel and America, it is certainly him. And, and I'll tell you what, I think it's an honor and a privilege, one, to know Christ, but I think it's an honor and a privilege to serve him, and I think it's an honor and a privilege to stand for him. And this morning, it is with great honor that I will introduce to you, and please help me welcome Brother Joel Rosenberg. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Pastor, thank you so much. Let me be clear. I did not call him <laughs> and invite myself to your church, but I, uh, but I was just being willing to do anything that the family leadership wanted me to do while I was here, and I'm very grateful that, uh, that actually this worked out. This is a delight and a treat, and I'm very grateful. Well, we are gathered at a, a moment of great peril for our country, and as anyone who's read a newspaper or listened to Steve's show or had any contact with news whatsoever, we know that there is a radical Islamic jihadist rampage spreading across the Middle East, uh, certainly attacking Israel um, and all, and, and with, with an organization, Hamas, that it, whose charter in 1988 uh, committed itself to obliterating, that's the word they use, obliterating uh, the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. And then, of course, you have this uh, radical Islamic group, ISIS, that is spreading not only through Syria, which is imploding as a modern Arab state, but is now spreading across Iraq, beheading children whose families love Jesus crucifying Christians, killing just untold numbers of people, whether they're Muslims or Christians or uh, of any other type of faith or background, they are on the move and they are as evil as you can possibly imagine and they are just storming through. They've taken upwards of 40% or more of Iraq so far. They've captured one of Iraq's largest cities, which is the city of Mosul, which you may not know is ancient Nineveh. If you remember the story of Jonah, uh, Nineveh uh, is the ancient city of Nineveh is Mosul. In fact, the ruins were found there um, back in the, in the 20th century. Uh, and then there is, in fact, a province of Nineveh. All of it's been taken over by ISIS. And these are just a few of the jihadist groups. Then you've got Iran building nuclear weapons. Uh, moving in that direction, building ballistic missiles, intercontinental ballistic missiles, with the help of North Korea. And uh, there's only one reason to have an intercontinental ballistic missile. You can't actually uh, technologically use uh, conventional explosives on such a weapon. They, they, they don't work. The only way to use a missile like that uh, is to have a uh, nuclear warhead on it. And these are the missiles that Iran is developing with North Korea. So this is the world that we live in. And I just want to make three simple points, and I'll expound on them a bit. But I want to make, I'll just, I'll, I'll just lay them out very quickly uh, right up front uh, so that if you drift off for any reason, at least you've gotten the heart of the message right up front. And that's my, my gift to you this morning. Um, so three quick points. First is, America is not simply facing decline as a country, we are facing implosion. Okay? We're not simply facing uh, sort of an erosion of what we've loved and known economically, spiritually, morally, culturally. We are facing outright collapse as a country. And the threat of implosion is such that uh, it's so great that America faces it that it's far beyond what, whatever the next president could possibly handle by himself. We need a third great awakening. 
and nothing, nothing else will suffice. We'll talk about that in a moment. That's point number one. Point number two is we must all ask ourselves a critically important question. Is America at a Jonah moment or are we at a Nahum moment? Two different Old Testament prophets both came and preached to the people of Nineveh. Two different results. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But that's the question I want you to consider. And then again, we'll unpack that in a moment. But are, are we at a Jonah moment or are we at a Nahum moment? Two very different moments in the Old Testament. And I think, and I, and I, I will give you an advance again if you drift off. Uh, I don't know which moment we're at. Uh, to use a basketball term, it's a, it's a jump ball right now. It could go either way. So we'll talk about that. And then the third and related question to this, this is, you know, the first two obviously about the condition of our country and how much danger we are in. The third question is related. What happens if on top of all of our national challenges and sins, what happens if America also turns on or abandons Israel and the Jewish people? What does the scripture say about nations that turn against and abandon Israel? Uh, what, and, and how are our fates as Americans intertwined with the people of Israel and her neighbors? I believe the scriptures are clear about that. Now, just to be clear, again, again front-loading, America is never mentioned in the Bible. It's never mentioned in Bible prophecy. It's not even alluded to unless you talk about the concept of all nations. There are many prophecies about all nations and things that happen to all nations uh, and all people at the, in the end times. Uh, but America's never mentioned, and there's been a lot. I, I wrote a book called Implosion two years ago. Implosion, can America recover from its economic and spiritual challenges in time? So I obviously won't be able to unpack the entire book here, nor did I bring any. I'm not trying to sell it to you. If you're interested, you can go to the library. My only point is I went through this in great detail, but one of the things I, I dealt with is this idea that America must be an end times Bible prophecy, and it's not. People say to me, Joel, you, you got to be kidding me. I mean, aren't we the wealthiest, most powerful nation on the face of the earth in the history of mankind? Yes, we are. And don't you think, Joel, I think I've heard you teach that we are already living in the last days of history. Yes, we are. Single, single greatest piece of evidence of that is the rebirth of the state of Israel in 1948. The Bible said that Israel would be reborn as a country in the last days of history. And it said that the, only the Bible says that Jews will come back to the Holy Land after centuries of exile. And that they will rebuild the ancient ruins and become a mighty nation and the center of attention in the end of times, we have seen that happen in our lifetime. There's no question that we're living in the end times if Israel is on the planet. And obviously it is. So people say to me, well, all right. So we're the wealthiest, most powerful nation on the face of the planet in the history of mankind. And we're living in the last days. And you're telling me that the United States doesn't show up in end times prophecy in a specific or even semi-alluded to way? That's what I'm saying. Well, how is that possible, people say? And the answer is, I don't know. And you're like, then why are you here? <laughs> I don't know, you have to bring it up with your pastor and the guy that called him. But the short version, the reason I don't know is not because I haven't done my homework. The reason I don't know is because nobody can know. The scriptures don't speak to the nation of the United States. So I, I just want to set up the premise as we begin it's an uncomfortable premise, but out of love and truth, I speak to you that something not good happens. We either decline or we implode, we are attacked, or we become so irrelevant by our own sets of mistakes that we are unable to project influence deep into the last days of history. I don't know which of the, you know, it could be natural disasters, it could be an economic collapse, it could be a nuclear war, it could be civil war, I, I don't know. It could be simply political paralysis 
in Washington, something happens in which this great mighty nation probably exists technically going deeper into the last days, but wasn't significant enough in God's plan and purpose to say, I'm going to explain what happens and its role. And yet there are many nations mentioned specifically by name or at least by um, inference that are mentioned. I mean, and, and the number one is Israel. So what happens? What happens if we turn away from Israel? So those are the three basic uh, points. And, um, and then let me unpack a little bit of that as we go. I'm going to do a little Marco Rubio moment here and just have a little water. God bless him. He's a good guy. Okay. Okay. America doesn't, isn't simply fo- you know, heading towards uh, uh, a decline. We are headed for implosion. Now, now as I talk about in the book, <coughs> you, could certainly, you, could, you could look at this just on a fiscal basis. We're at $17 trillion of debt. And we've got $55 trillion. That's with a T. $55 trillion worth of promises that our government has made to us at the federal level what they call unfunded liabilities, that we don't have any way of paying. <laughs> this is Social Security. This is Medicare. This is Medicaid. Okay. So we're already in $17 trillion of debt. We've got $55 trillion coming as the baby boomers retire, which is happening now and accelerating every year. So we have a limited period of time in which we will be drowning in, in debt. We, and then our young people, you know, it just, it's unsustainable. I quote in the book, Republicans and Democrats, conservatives and liberals, independents, experts who are saying this can't continue. The, 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 the Congressional Budget Office models break down. They can't, they can't, the computers can't figure out what happens if you keep going in that direction because it, it's, it's unimaginable, and yet that's where we're heading. But I don't want to talk today about the fiscal issues, although those are hugely important or even about all the cultural and spiritual woes that we have, whether it's uh, pornography, whether it's the assault on marriage, whether it's the assault on, you know, on, on, on children, on uh, the implosion of individual families, right? We're not talking about, don't, we don't have to think about implosion of a nation. We're talking about the implosion of families uh, through divorce and abuse and out-of-wedlock births, and, 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 and all of us have seen it. All of us have been hurt and touched by it. It's happening in our own families. But I'm not even going to talk about that. that it's, all of these are worthy of conversation. I just want to pick out one example of how much danger we're in, just to help focus the conversation. Uh, to do so, let me just say that uh, I'm a, a Gentile on my mother's side, dating back to uh, the Daughters of the American Revolution. On my father's side, Orthodox Jewish, a family that escaped out of Russia, uh, in the early 1900s, when the czar was uh, encouraging, allowing, and, and even actively helping the killing of, uh, of hundreds of thousands of Jews. It was known as the pogroms. So my family escaped, and they came to the United States. And, and my father was born and raised in Brooklyn. He's a first-generation American. And, uh, and I won't, I, I'm not going to use my time today to, to share my testimony, but my father was a lost uh, and agnostic Orthodox Jew, in the mid-60s. You're saying, agnostic Orthodox Jew. I'm not sure I've ever heard of that. Nevertheless, <laughs> that's what he was. My mother was an agnostic, lost Methodist. And uh, she didn't know what she believed. Her church uh, never preached the gospel, the one that she was in. And uh, they got married in 1965. They had me in 67. They were kind of going on a spiritual journey. They read the Quran. Maybe that has truth and hope. They didn't understand it. They read the Bhagavad Gita. They thought, maybe we should be Hindus. They didn't get it. <laughs> they thought, uh, I don't think so. They read the Bible, the New Testament. They didn't get it. <laughs> they didn't understand it. It took a while, but eventually they came to faith. And, uh, and I came to faith at the age of eight, 1975. So that's our, a little bit of our family background. Years later, I had the opportunity, in fact, just a couple years ago, uh, 2011, November, I had the opportunity to travel to uh, the Nazi death camp in southern Poland known as Auschwitz. This was the main, but not the only, uh, factory, they called it a death factory, where they had, the Nazis had systematized killing 
mostly Jews, but also political prisoners and gypsies and homosexuals and anyone that they didn't like, just put them in gas chambers and then put them in ovens and, and then shot whoever else they, you know, or, and, and then he died just for starvation. Now, you might imagine someone named Rosenberg standing in a gas chamber, an actual, not a, not a replica, an actual gas chamber at Auschwitz. And the emotions, it's, it's impossible to describe. And, and, and you don't have to be named Rosenberg. You don't have to have any Jewish background to be horrified and try to just, you know, try to block out the screaming in your ears. What happened in that room? And then step into the next room and see the crematorium. See the ovens. But as I was processing that in that moment, and, and you're not allowed to speak when you go into these buildings. It's total silence, out of respect for the dead and their memories. So as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about it through a Jewish lens. But the Lord diverted me for a moment off of that. And I thought to myself, the Nazis killed Six million Jews. We have killed, in my lifetime, I was born in 67, but since 1973, we have killed 55 million human beings through abortion. If this doesn't change in the next few years, next year or two, hard to imagine, right? We will hit 60 million human beings systematically murdered in death factories in America. Now think about that for a moment. When we hit, if, if God forbid, we hit 60 million, we will have killed 10 times more human beings than the Jews that the Nazis killed. 10 times more. Now we know the judgment that came upon Nazi Germany. And some of you may have been used by God to fight in that war and bring such a judgment, as well as a liberation of a continent and of the Jewish people. We believe that judgment was correct. That, that Germany, the Nazi regime, deserved the, the utter d destruction of their nation that they received. What do we think is going to happen in a country that kills 10 times more people than the Nazis did? That single fact processing through, or concept processing through my mind as I walked through Auschwitz, uh, in part led me to write the book Implosion. I had not gone to Poland to think about America. That's what happened. And that's not changeable by changing the Senate or changing the House or changing the presidency. Those are important, hugely important. But I'm one, I just want to broaden out. That's not my discussion today. My point is, even if you got every single godly leader in there, which I hope happens, and it's really all on you because, you know, you're Iowa. God bless you. Uh, send us good people. Send us really good people. But even if that happens, God cannot overlook the cries of 55 million children. They will have their justice. And the question is whether we will beg and plead with the God of the universe to show mercy instead of the justice that, that is coming. Now, he can do it. He's a just God, but in his justice, he can give mercy. That's who he is. And he has done it twice in our nation before. A first great awakening in the early 1700s and a second great awakening in the 1800s. And though, let me be clear, those two great awakenings were so sweeping, so game-changing of revivals of people in the churches first, but then people who were not in the churches, coming back, either back to faith or to faith in Jesus Christ. True repentance, true weeping, true recognition of how deep and lost 
we were as a people. So sweeping, people coming to Christ, hungering for his word, worshiping uh, night and day, praying, sharing with their friends, uh, the, the, the pulpits being transformed, men preaching the word of God, the whole counsel of God. This was so game-changing that the secular historians, the journalists, were writing about this as a great awakening and later as a second great awakening. We need a third one. We need a third one. And absent a third great awakening, there's no way out of this. Judgment is coming. I don't know when. I can't believe it hasn't happened already. And I say that as an American who, who loves this country deeply and can't believe what I'm saying. But that's the, that's the scriptural principles. And I would just note, of course, uh, 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called... If my people, right, it has to start in the church, who are called by my name, will humble themselves. It's not a big trait of the American people generally, or even the church, humility. If my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will hear their prayer, hear from heaven, uh, forgive their sins, and heal their land. Now, let's be clear. That promise was given to Solomon and the children of Israel. It's actually not a promise for us. It's a specific promise to a specific group of people. If the Jewish people humble themselves and pray and seek God's face and turn from their wicked ways, uh, then, then God will hear from heaven and, and forgive them and give them a revival and awakening. The nation of Israel, the, people, the Jewish people, that's what that promise is specifically about. The principle in the promise gives us hope. Okay, so I just want to be clear. We have to be, we have to be careful um, people about the word of God. It's not a promise for America, but it's a principle that any country can at least try to, to apply, right? We, if we're not going to humble ourselves and pray and repent, we, you know, even starting with the, the people that ought to be doing it anyway, the people inside the believing community, then, then what hope do we think we're going to have for everyone, all the heathen around us who don't know any better? So that's the, that's the first point. It's possible. It's happened twice in our history. But we have no guarantees that it will happen again. Um, but we need to pray for it. We need to plead for it. Uh, because there's no other way out but for that. So my, 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 my goal this morning is not to be discouraging but to be clear so that we can process and, and begin to ask ourselves, okay, what are we doing about this? So America is not simply headed for decline. It's headed for implosion. The threat of implosion is so great, it's so far beyond what the next president of the United States can possibly handle alone that we need a third great awakening. That's point number one. Point number two, we must ask ourselves this critically important question. Is America at a Jonah moment or a Nahum moment? Let me explain that. So let me, let me in, in, in that context, let me say, uh, so my wife, Lynn, and I have four sons, okay? Uh, uh, Caleb, Jacob, Jonah, and Noah. Uh, 20, almost 18, almost 16, and 10. Okay, Caleb, Jacob, Jonah, and Noah. Now you say, uh, there seems to be a little gap there between Jonah and Noah. Uh, Why do you guys have a Noah? And I like to joke that it's uh, because Jesus said in Matthew 24 that he's not coming back again until the days of Noah. So we thought, you know, if we're holding him back, we, we'd better have a Noah. And now we have one, and he knows Jesus. He's been baptized in Israel, and we're good to go. So if you forget everything about this message, which is possible, remember that we are living in the days of Noah, and Jesus could be coming back at any minute. I'm not Harold Camping. I can't tell you when he's coming, but I'm just saying, you know, be prepared. Okay. So, now, you, you heard, I got the son Jonah. So, now, this is a few years ago, five years ago, or 45 years ago. I've been to Iraq uh, four times, preaching, teaching. We've got a ministry called the Joshua Fund. We, we provide food and clothing, medical supplies, and assistance to pastors, pastors' training and encouragement to people in Israel among Palestinians, but also in the Arab surrounding countries, including Iraq. So I've been there these four times. I was going to go there for an, another time, and the pastors in 
Dr. Rocks uh, wanted us to go through Philippians, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, uh, for them. They were going to all gather in, in the northern city of Erbil, in the Kurdish section, that is currently uh, under assault by ISIS. As I was sharing at dinner one night, um, asking for prayer for my, with my wife and kids about this trip, and uh, my son Jonah said, Dad, did, did you just say they're going to invite you also to visit Nineveh? I said, yeah, actually they are. And he said, could I go? And I said, of course not. <laughs> have you watched the news? Do you have any idea what's happening in Iraq? <laughs> At which point my wife says, um, seriously? You're going to be the father that tells Jonah he cannot go to Nineveh? <laughs> have you read the story? Have you seen the movie? Do you have any idea what's happening here? Do you, do you hear yourself? I said, okay, I, yeah, I, I read the book, I saw the movie. Honey, he's 11. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, she said, have you prayed about it? I said, well, of course I haven't prayed about it. It's self-evident. You don't take an 11-year-old into a war zone. She said, maybe you should pray about it. Oh, fine, I'll pray about it. Right, big, you know, man of faith, right, bold. I prayed about it. The Lord's like, yeah, take him to Nineveh. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm doing this. Okay, Lord. So we went. And it was an amazing time. We went and met with orphans and all kinds of things. And I'll just finish this part of the story to say, we went uh, at one point to a town. Now, Nineveh is a province as well as a city. Okay? We actually didn't go to Mosul because they told us the jihadists would cut our heads off. So I was like, okay. But we went through the, the province and we went to a town called Al-Kash. Now, this town of Al-Kash is interesting because the prophet Nahum was from Al-Kash. On the off chance that you didn't have your quiet time this morning in Nahum, uh, he was an Al-Kashite, meaning he was from Al-Kash. Okay, okay I, I hadn't, honestly, I'd read it, I, it never really stuck. But these pastors took us to Al-Kash, and there is Nahum's tomb. He's buried in the town, and there is... Hebrew writing on the walls that's 2,500 years old. Unbelievable. The town is a Christian town. There are crosses everywhere, which currently have all been uh, taken down and now have the ISIS Islamic State flag waving. But when we were there, we were, I, was, uh, I had a video crew with me, and we were going to uh, prepare for a conference. We do uh, often called an epicenter conference, and it focuses on what God is doing in Israel and the Middle East and what the what the enemies are doing in the Middle East and, and helping sort of mobilize and educate Christians on these issues. So long story short, we were, I, I was doing some filming there and, and we were about to leave and I said, I said to my son Jonah, Jonah, you know what? I don't think God brought you to Nineveh to bring a word of, from the Lord, but I think it'd be great if you shared from Nineveh on video for our upcoming conference, you know, just talking a little bit about what you've seen and heard and how maybe you could be praying, how you could encourage other people to be praying for the children of Iraq. Jonah bursts into tears, says, absolutely not, no, and he runs off in the other direction. I'm like, oh my gosh, you've been perfectly named. I'm like, you're kidding me. You're actually giving me this anecdote that will last me my lifetime. Jonah bursts out in tears and runs off in the other direction? I mean, come on, have you seen the movie? Have you whatever so anyway right as we were leaving literally packing up the equipment he finally goes i'm, I'm sorry I, yes yes I, I will do it i said no i you don't have to do it. i didn't want his memory of nineveh to be his father going ah, you know you know so uh but he did it and he did a very sweet job and look one of the things that did for me is focus me on those two passages jonah and 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 nahum jonah as you know was sent to nineveh uh, by God, he's a Hebrew prophet from Israel, sent to Nineveh. Now, where's Nineveh? It's, as I said, northern Iraq. Okay? And it, it was as violent and evil and wicked then as it is right now. In fact, it was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, which was one of the most wicked empires in the scriptures. Now, setting aside for right now the whole fact of Jonah not wanting to do it, going off on a Disney cruise towards Spain, Tarshish, heading off in the other direction. I want to focus on this part. When he got there, he walked through the city, and for three days, he pronounced that judgment was coming. And what happened? People, once they heard this word from the Lord, 
were so moved, so convicted by their own sins and the imminence of judgment that they repented. They burst out into tears, and even the king realized that he had to call all of his people to fast and to pray and to beg the one true God, the God of Jonah, the God of the Bible, for, for forgiveness. And he said, you know, who knows? Maybe God will relent. And sure enough, when the people repented, God relented. Extraordinary. Probably the greatest revival in all of human history, especially since Jonah didn't even call the people to repent. He just said, judgment is coming. This is the word of the Lord. This is, so for, despite Jonah's uh, lack of faithfulness at first, first, when he was faithful and preached the word of God, this people of Nineveh heard it, received it, they repented, and God showed mercy. Now, fast forward more than 100 years later. The children and grandchildren of Nineveh have now slipped back into evil, violence, wickedness of all kinds. And so God raises up another prophet, Hebrew prophet Nahum. Sends him to Nineveh. He is faithful and obeys. He doesn't try to take off in the other direction. And if you read through the book of Nahum, you'll hear a message again from the Lord describing the wickedness of the people of Nineveh and judgment coming. And what happened? The people of Nineveh did not listen. They did not repent. God did not relent. And in 612 BC, Nineveh was destroyed. Which brings us back to the United States. Okay? We have, we have two models Okay, those are not prophecies about the United States, but they're models. And what we ask ourselves is, are we at a Jonah moment or are we at a Nahum moment? Are we at a moment where the church is running in the other direction, unwilling to preach the gospel and the whole counsel of God clearly and effectively to a people in the believing community as well as to the people who face judgment imminently? Or are we like Noah, uh, Nahum who was faithful in doing it? But even in the Jonah moment, once the people... Remember, Jonah was... Uh, remember, he got on the ship, he heads in the other direction, and then he goes into the hull of the ship, and he falls asleep. And as this raging storm comes up and is going to break up the, the ship, the captain comes down. I mean, the, 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 the sailors are terrified. The captain comes down, and he says, What are you doing asleep? Wake up. Wake up. Maybe, you know, pray to your God. Maybe, maybe your God can save us. These were pagans. He didn't know the one true God. The man of God, the prophet of God, who knew the word of God and had a message from God, was asleep in the hull of the ship as the ship was breaking up. And I would draw the analogy, our ship of state is breaking up. People are growing scared. And the church, many of the preachers, are asleep in the hull of the ship. And... I don't hear right now the pagans coming to say, wake up, maybe your God can save us. But I know men like Raphael Cruz and Bob Vanderplantz and Ronnie Floyd, the new head of the Southern Baptists, and Ann Graham Lotz and others are saying to the church, wake up. We, have, we, uh, we don't know whether if we preach the word of God, the king and the nation will repent and God will forestall judgment, like under Jonah, or whether we'll preach clearly, lovingly, accurately, consistently, faithfully, and the king and the leader and the people will not repent, and the judgment will come. We don't know which outcome, but we have to be faithful. We have to be faithful. Wake up. So that's the question. Without a third great awakening, we, we, we will not survive as a nation. And the question is, will the church wake up and call people to repentance... In time. So this brings us to the third and related question. What happens if on top of all of our national challenges and our national sins, what happens if America also turns on or abandons Israel and the Jewish people? Now, 
there are three passages that speak to the connection between any nation, all nations, and Israel. Again, America's not mentioned in the Bible, but we are one of the nations, and these are verses about all nations, all people. So let, I want to I focus on them for a few minutes. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. This is the Abrahamic covenant. God takes Abram from Iraq, interestingly enough, Ur of the Chaldees was the center of, of uh, pagan worship. It's actually the center of, the, of worship of the moon god. Ur means light in ancient Chaldean. It was Ur of the Chaldees, where Abram was from, 220 miles southeast of Baghdad. God chooses this pagan man and his family and says, I'm going to bless you. In fact, let me just read the passage, starting in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house. To the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you. And make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And those who curse you, I will curse. And in, all the fam and in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken. He was obedient. Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed on this mission from God. 75. I don't know how old you are. I won't ask. But don't think you're too old to hear from the Lord and be called to do something for the Lord. This is not just a young man's game. God calls all of us at every age. To, and the question is, will we be faithful? Or will we run in the other direction like Jonah? Abram didn't. He, he followed. Now, in that is very important. There's lots of pieces there. But let me focus for a moment on one. This promise to Abram, I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse. Okay? Then this gets passed down to his descendants. Isaac, Jacob. Jacob becomes Israel, right? He's renamed Israel. And so that becomes the nation of Israel, uh, of which we know that, you know, obviously it was Israel and Judah, and then the ten tribes, you know, are, are judged, and you've got Judah, and you, that's where the Jewish people come from, Judaism from Judah. Okay? So, long story short, this, this, this promise, not only of blessing, and you'll be a blessing to the rest of the world, but a specific promise, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you, this goes from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, Israel, Jewish people. So, the question is a very simple one. Do we want blessing or do we want curse? Right? God says if you, if you love and bless the Jewish people and the nation of Israel, you'll be blessed. And if you don't, there are consequences. So this is one of the verses that shows us that our fate, in some way, shape, or form, is inextricably linked to Israel and the Jewish people. Number two, uh, my favorite uh, book of the Bible would be the book of Joel. Uh, and uh, love this book. It's only three chapters. It's also sh nice and short. Um, but uh, but it's, this too is a message of wake-up call. It's a wake-up call in, in chapter one when the Jewish people are far from the Lord, but God raises up this prophet named Joel. I'm not a prophet. I, I run a non-prophet, just to be clear. But this was a prophet, a Hebrew prophet. God had raised him up to say to the people, wake up. Wake up. You're asleep. You're drunk. Wake up, you're far from the things of God. And in and, and and chapter 2, of course, maybe the most famous verses, blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm, a warning on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land, not just Jews, but anyone else in the land, tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, surely it is near. Okay, It's a, it's a wake-up call, it's a trumpet call to repentance because the Lord is coming. And then in, verse, in chapter 3, God begins to describe some of the judgments that will come on people who have been against Israel and the Jewish people uh, and, and against the Lord himself. Chapter 3, verse 1. For behold, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, pause for a moment, 
In other words, in the last days of history, when I regather the Jewish people back to Israel and bless Jerusalem and give it back to the Jewish people and Judah, and, and when I begin to redo this, you know, because God has given the land to Israel, but he also tells them, I've been giving it to you as an everlasting possession, Genesis 17, but I will kick you out from time to time if you, you know, if you, if you disobey me chronically and won't come back to me. I will give you a timeout. You have children. You know what a timeout is. These have been long timeouts for the Jewish people. But God says there, there's coming a day when I will restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem. I'll bring back the Jewish people. I will rebuild the nation of Israel. And in those days, when you see that happening, God says at some point in the not-too-distant future after that, I will gather all the nations. And that certainly includes us. I will gather all the nations and bring them to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And that's in Israel. And there I will enter into judgment with them. With who? With all the nations. I will enter into judgment with them there. Why? On behalf of my people and my inheritance, Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and they have divided up my land. God is going to judge any and all nations who divide the land of Israel and mistreat Israel and Jewish people. God in his own sovereignty may decide to use, to allow nations to kick them out for a season. But they will be judged for that. God will use evil to chastise the Jewish people and drive them back to the Lord. But he will judge that evil. And I have to say that the United States is leading the league in trying to divide the land of Israel. It goes back to the Carter administration, but, even under, but it formalized under President George W. Bush. When he formally said, we're going to create a sovereign Palestinian state, which would require the dividing formally of the land. And of course, this current president and administration has continued that um, with, with abandon. This is a serious problem. It may look wise to create a sovereign state there. But the Bible says all nations who engage in it will be judged. So just as a loving, truthful person, you have to say to your government, to your leaders, and future leaders, don't go there. There, are, there, there is another solution. You can give Palestinians autonomy, let them run their day-to-day -day lives, their education, their communications, their transportation, their police units. You know, they, they can run their daily lives, but you cannot give sovereignty inside a country that, that God has said, I will judge anyone that divides it because judgment will come. And we don't want to be judged for that or for anything else, but we, we're in danger of that. Third verse that's related to this is Psalm 122, verse 6. Psalm 122, verse 6. Uh, I'm actually going to read th 6 through 9 because it, it gives you some context. And I would encourage you to go back over these passages as well as read Jonah and Nahum. Uh, I would encourage you in the next few days, just go through these, those two uh, books. They're short. Um, uh, even if they weren't, you should do it. But uh, all scripture is profitable. But I would encourage you to do it because you'll, I, I want you to determine what the Lord is really saying. Don't take my word for it. Right? Be a Berean. The Bereans heard the word of God from Paul, and they thought, all right, I, I, I hear that, but now we're going to go study the, and test the scriptures and see if what he said is really true. So please do that. Study Jonah, study Nahum, study these passages, and, and ask the Lord to reveal his heart to you. So it's based on him to you, not me to you. Okay, okay Psalm 122, beginning in verse 6. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Okay, that's a pretty clear command. This comes from, from David, right, who was the king of, of Israel. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love thee or love you. May peace be within your walls and prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brothers and my friends, I will now say, may peace be within you, within Jerusalem, within Israel, within the Jewish people, and, 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 and the Arab people, and anyone else who lives there. 
May peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord God, I will seek your good. These are principles for us. Okay? We need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. First and foremost, that means for the prince of peace to, to be revealed to the Jewish and Arab people there. That the, that the Messiah who came and died on the cross in Jerusalem as a Jew, as the Savior, and rose again, was raised on the third day according to the scriptures by the great God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the, uh, of the living, the God who raised Jesus from the dead. This is the God that, that the people of, that, of the Middle East, of the epicenter, need to know. The greatest act of anti-Semitism among a list of them that we've seen just in the last 20th century and up to today, the greatest act of anti-Semitism is to withhold or deny the good news of salvation through the Jewish Messiah to the Jewish people. There are pastors and ministries who say we love Israel and we will defend Israel and we'll stand with Israel, but don't worry, we won't ever talk to you about Jesus. That may be ignorance, but the effect is anti-Semitic, because you could love people right into hell. And I say to you, as a Jewish person, whom Gentiles reached me and my parents with the gospel, please share the gospel with Jewish people, and Muslims, and everybody. But don't say, don't say in your heart, oh, you know, Christians have done so many bad things to Jews over the years, uh, I don't want to be the one to offend them. The gospel is a stumbling block to the Jews, but we still need it, and there's a remnant, and God says in the end, he's going to bring many Jewish people into the kingdom. I wish I could do a whole sermon on that, but I don't have the time for that. But share the gospel. and don't, So don't say, oh, well, I don't want to offend. No. Well, don't offend us. Don't try to offend us. I mean, try to say it lovingly, but, but, but be proactive. Secondly, don't say, well, the Jews, you know, they have, they have their own covenant. They've got some special route. I don't even need to share the gospel with them. That's not true. Jesus, didn't, Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, didn't die on the cross just for Gentiles. In fact, the early church thought it was only for the Jews, and they thought that Gentiles weren't going to get included. And they're like, what? The Gentiles? Well, how could they get in on this deal? Now the Gentile church thinks it's just for the Gentiles, and... The Jews? Why would the Jews need Jesus? That's a lie. It's from Satan. Don't believe it. Finally, you might say, well, the, the Jews, they, you know, they're, they're, they haven't gotten this in 2,000 years. They're not going to get it today. Not without the grace of God. The Father opening our eyes, the power of the Holy Spirit. But please, God, I would say 90% of Jewish people in the world who've come to faith in Jesus have come through the testimony and the witness of Gentiles. So that's what the Middle East needs most, is the gospel of Jesus the Messiah. The Prince of Peace, making himself clear. But we also, they, they could use a little peace geopolitically too. And they could use allies standing with them, that, rather than condemning them for defending themselves from 3,000 rockets and missiles. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love thee, as you love and bless and encourage Israel and the Jewish people. There's something that God says, I'm going to bless you. Now, I am not a prosperity gospel guy. Don't mishear me. I do not believe that God promises you a Learjet and a mansion and healing from every sickness you ever had and no suffering or pain in your life if you love Jesus and love Jewish people. That is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches, when you look at the whole counsel of God, that you're going to suffer for the kingdom. And if you're not willing to suffer and bear your cross, Jesus says, don't even bother. That's what he said. And not every single prayer gets answered in the affirmative. Every prayer gets answered, but not every prayer, the answer to prayer is a yes. And it's not a matter of issue of faith. Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying on his knees, please let this cup pass from me. Father, there has to be some other way to save the world than me dying on the cross and being separated from you. Jesus pleaded with the Father three times, let this cup pass from me. If, you can, if Jesus, who knew the whole plan and purpose and why he had come, could ask his Father, please, I don't want to do this, and the Father says, no, I'm sorry, I need you to do this, 
that wasn't sinful for him to ask as long as he was willing to say, not my will, but yours be done. But, G- but the father denied Jesus three prayers. The apostle Paul a- pleaded with the father to remove the thorn in the flesh, this, this horrific satanic attack on him, probably physically, but certainly spiritually. Three times Paul pleaded to be freed from that affliction, and three times the father said no. Paul then teaches us to endure all hardship. And that sometimes suffering is a gift from God to draw us closer. I'm not teaching prosperity gospel. But God blesses, in the ways he defines as blessing, people and nations who love and bless Israel and the Jewish people. So these are the three passages. And I think they're important Because if the United States, on top of everything else that we are doing wrong, if on top of all that, we turn against Israel, we abandon Israel, or, God forbid, outright curse Israel, I think it's very possible that that is the proverbial straw that will bring this whole thing down. I can't tell you why God has been so gracious 55 million abortions in. There may be a few reasons. A few of us were talking over dinner the other night, and I'm going to close on these thoughts. I mean, one of it is that there's a remnant here, right? When, when you know, Abram came to the land of Israel because God told him, and then Lot settled in Sodom and Gomorrah, right? And, and, and when God told Abram that, he, that Abraham that he was going to bring judgment on those wicked cities... Uh, you remember Abram pleaded for mercy and said, if there were 50 righteous people in those cities, would you still destroy it? No, for 50, I would spare it. 45? 45, I would spare it. 30? 20? Lord, if, don't kill me. Just if, if there were 10 righteous people in these cities, would you forestall your judgment? Yes, for 10, I would. You could make a case that there were, no, there were zero righteous people in that city. You could make a case there were two, and then one made a mistake, Lot's wife. You could make a case that Lot wasn't righteous at all. God just showed mercy on him. I won't, I'm not going to exposit that right now. You can process that. But my point is, when there's a remnant, sometimes God says, I'm going to wait. And there are people who love the Lord, uh, and, and you are among them. I don't know you personally, so I hope each of you who are in here are, are in that remnant who are seeking the Lord and seeking God to forestall a judgment on a nation that deserves it. The Lord is also using the United States as an ATM machine for world missions. The gospel is being preached around the world. Disciples are being made. Pastors are being trained and deployed. Other national ministries around the world are being trained and equipped and encouraged because of the people and the resources financially and and technologically in other ways from the United States. I like to joke that thank God for Al Gore because the internet is spreading the gospel all around the world. Satellite television developed here, beaming the gospel over the heads of the, the mullahs and the Islamic clerics into the, into the rooms of, of Muslims who couldn't walk into a church but can watch the gospel on their own satellite television dish. God is using this country. But finally, oh, just to pick one more, maybe God is also relented from judgment on the United States because we have been the best friend and ally of Israel and the Jewish people. There are 5 million Jewish people who live in this country. There are 6 million who live in uh, Israel. Uh, We have stood with both teams and we have stood faithfully. Jews are comfortable here. Uh, There is, the level of anti-Semitism is nothing like what is, is worldwide, and it's rising so fast. I just wrote about my, was on my blog uh, yesterday, two days ago. Uh, anti-Semitism in Europe is so bad, it's, uh, experts are saying it's approaching the, the magnitude of the 30s. Eventually, every Jew in the United States will be heading back to Israel. Why? How? Can't tell you that, but if the country begins to implode, that may be God's way of bringing Jewish people to Israel. In fulfillment of his prophecies. 
but in judgment of the United States. My family and I uh, have just become uh, citizens of Israel. We're dual citizens. We, by, there's an arrangement between the United States and Israel that you can be a citizen of both. And we have just received our citizenship, and we, we are moving to Israel on Thursday. And God is, uh, <laughs> has an interesting sense of timing. You know, some, you take your wife and your four sons. Okay, I've been teaching the Abrahamic covenant for, you know, <laughs> a long time. Yes, leave the nation that you know. Leave your father's house and your relatives. I will take you to a land that I will show you. Does it have to be in the middle of a rocket war? Does it have to be in the middle of a jihadist rampage? But I named a son Jonah with my wife because we want to remind ourselves that God loves Israel and the neighbors, and we should too, and that we should never run from what the Lord is telling us to do. So on Thursday, not only are we going, but we're taking my mother-in-law for three weeks. God bless her. When I married her, she didn't even know, oh, sorry, when I married her daughter, just to be clear. <laughs> you can only imagine what right-wing watch is going to do with that line, you know. When I married her daughter, she, she didn't even know Jesus yet. He, if I had told her, by the way, I'm going to be taking your daughter someday, and you, <laughs> into a rocket war, Permanently, as best we can tell. I don't think I would have received her daughter's hand in marriage. <laughs> but my point in that is God is doing a great work there. And the prophecies are filled with wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and natural disasters and all kinds of persecution of the believers. Let us not be intimidated by these things. But let us plead for our country, for this country and for Israel and I don't want to, you know, and, and the whole world, for God so loved the world. And I just ask you to consider these three points. Are you praying and fasting as a people for a third great awakening? Are you preaching the word clearly and deploying people out to be Jonah's after the rebellion, <laughs> to make things clear to a, a world that doesn't know, but whom judgment is coming on, unless we repent? And are you standing with Israel and the Jewish people while also loving Israel's neighbors and her enemies as Jesus commanded? May God bless you and keep you. And may, he, may his face shine upon you and give you peace. Thank you for letting me come and share. And, and uh, I'm grateful to you and the people of Iowa. May, you, uh, may the Lord really bless you and, 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 and use you to reach this nation and this world with the gospel of the great king who is coming, Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you like to pray, Pastor? Father, we love you. You are our creator. You made us for a specific purpose, to have a relationship with you, to love you, to honor you, to respect you, because you loved us, you held us, you touched us, you desired us, and Lord, we thank you for that. We wandered from you, and we needed a Savior. Thank you for Jesus, who came to the cross, paid for our sins through his shed blood. Lord, we thank you for that. But also, Lord, you left us the power of your Holy Spirit to carry us to do your work. And, Father, I do pray that those of us who are believers, we would do our part. Lord, I pray today that the words that Joel has spoken, that you have given him, would stir us to evaluate in our own heart what we're to do. Lord, I pray for the power of your Holy Spirit to carry us to share and take the gospel to a dying world, including right here in America. Father, I do pray for America. I lift her up. Lord, I lift the people of America up, that we would rise up, speak up, do our part to convey your truth and your message with conviction, with love, with sincerity. Lord, I do pray for Israel. Thank you. You're, you know it's the only nation you build a covenant with. Nobody else has that. And Father, I pray that you would strengthen her. I pray for the Jewish people there. You would strengthen them. Lord, and I pray that there would be a re 
unifying approach for America to support her and love her because it is the right thing to do. Father, I ask now that you take these words and through your spirit, you encourage us, strengthen us, and bless us. And we ask these things in your name we pray. Amen. Thank